0: The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com. Namaste to all of you and good evening. Please settle down. Tonight it is my intention for the satsang to speak... A little bit more to focus in this particular satsang on the spirituality which happens through the heart through anahata chakra technically as we say in yoga the role of anahata chakra the necessity of anahata chakra in spirituality and its place here in the agama system of yoga And this starts, it's very important because we see all the time that somehow the trends of Anahata Chakra, the way of doing spirituality through Anahata Chakra, is often the most problematic one, otherwise said. People don't manifest or don't have too much Anahata Chakra and although spirituality is supposed to give it to them and although Anahata Chakra seems to be a planetary ideal for this cosmic cycle, nevertheless it does not happen too much. We can see that in the national characteristics like what we call the national souls the dominant frequencies. Theoretically, all astrological signs are divided in four categories, and uh, there should be 25% of people dominant on Earth, 25% on people dominant on water, fire, and air. In a similar way, would expect that The chakras, at least the first four chakras, which are the four basic elements of the universe, they should be present in about 25% percentage over the face of this Earth. On the other hand, we know that the planet Earth is dominated by the water element, both our bodies and the planet is dominated by the water, and at least then we would say, okay, Let's give to the water 30% instead of 25%. Let's give to the water 50% instead of 25%. Like it's the dominant element. But then the other three, the earth, the fire, the air, should be approximately equal. They should be split equally among people, among nations, and so on. That is not the case. That is definitely not the case. And when we look, at the different souls, you try to think about the characteristics of the typical Englishman, the typical Italian, the typical German, the typical and so on and so forth. Now, where do you see a lot of Anahata chakra? Where in the countries of the world do you have those 25% or 10% of the countries of the world which are on Anahata Chakra dominant? Like if there are 30 countries in Europe, which are the three European countries which have at least a dominant Anahata Chakra? Not to say 25%, but 10%. What about the world? In which of the African countries, probably 40 countries or whatever they have in the whole of Africa, which are the four African countries where people are dominant on anahata chakra the answer is very simple that is not the case and it's not the case simply because anahata chakra is not proportional with the others on this planet you find egregores national souls and dominance in the population of muladhara chakra you find a lot of Svadhisthana here and there you find Manipura when it comes to anahata Anahata is the most underprivileged of the four elements. It's It's the element which is the most persecuted, the most rare of all of them, the most difficult to encounter. And because of this, a lot of things are not harmonious. And that's why spirituality on this planet, either it comes from Rumi or it comes from Jesus or it comes from Ramakrishna or it comes from many, many others, very often emphasizes on anahata it goes on anahata like anahata is the lost gem it's the lost treasure spirituality on manipura a la uh, samurai spirituality we see some sort of dignity in spirituality some sort of verticality in spirituality here and there and it's beautiful to see of course but when but that's more from Manipura, like when it comes to Anahata Chakra, it's always very difficult to encounter. Very, It goes to the point where some people think that God means Anahata Chakra. To, to that extent, like people preaching spirituality, they preached so much Anahata Chakra and the values of Anahata Chakra, like love, forgiveness, tolerance, and other, and other such uh, values. We'll talk about them in a minute that um, the question is uh, that many people when you say anahata many people will say well if i would be on anahata chakra i would be a saint like people think that to be a saint is like to be in the heart while we understand that the spiritual realization is not in anahata anahata is a great accomplishment for the human being and it has way more significance than some of you think. Some of you who heard me talk before about this, they know what I mean. And it will come up tonight to a large extent at least, as, as much as time allows it. But uh, for many people, anahata already means like spirituality. It's something high. Even when Jesus came and spoke about the path of the heart, was very difficult to understand like the ancient Jews being desert creatures dominated by fire they could understand an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth they could understand justice that God is just and sometimes God is terrible when he is just but they could not understand what it means to forgive seventy times seven to forgive forever to endure to take humility That if somebody strikes you on one cheek, you should turn the other cheek as well. That sounded like almost impossible. Like Anahata was almost like a bridge too far. Everybody who thinks about it alchemically yet realizes that we can't have a full human being, a harmonious human being, a complete human being without one of the four elements. If the cross of the four elements is not balanced and we don't have earth, water, fire, and air, then the human being will be limping. It's like a cow with a shorter leg. Can't run, can't walk properly. It will be not in balance. That's why as difficult as this Anahata sounds, we know from the very beginning that in spirituality and for what Gurjiev called the harmonious development of the human being. Because that's one thing when you will be in spirituality for a long time and when you will meditate, you will see that many, many people suffer and many, many people do terrible things and many, many people give pain and take pain and so on simply because they are not harmoniously developed. A human being that is harmoniously developed is a human being that integrates perfectly, that runs smoothly. But let a human being have too much earth or too much fire or too little air or whatever, and then we are dealing with a disharmonious human being, with a human being who is out of the harmony. And that human being, therefore, suffers accordingly. Exactly the same thing has to be said about Anahata Chakra. Anahata Chakra, out of the first four chakras, which are like the cross of the elements, the, the basis of the pyramid of the four elements. And the fifth element is like the tip of the pyramid. So it's something a bit more special on Vishuda. But out of the first four elements, which are the foundation, if one of them is less than the others, then we don't have a solid foundation. Then we don't have harmony. The harmony starts, first of all, from a balancing of the foundational things. That's why... I keep saying anahata chakra which appears clearly for somebody doing yoga that anahata chakra is the most persecuted chakra of all the chakras like when you look in the society you no know, if you look at uh, whatever the first movie which comes to mind i don't know why is the wolf of wall street because probably because tonight somebody was mentioning the title of this movie no you take the wolf of wall street i don't know if i in the whole movie i have seen 10 seconds of anahata like anahata does not exist in that movie at all it's simply and that's why I say anahata clearly is the most lacking the most handicapped chakra in our world our world has grown to be with so little anahata chakra and that is not boding well to start with that doesn't give any good signal that automatically says We are living in a very skewed reality. We are living in a very unhealthy type of world. And everybody who wants to go in spirituality has to find a way to balance that. It is also uh, not only that the modern world in general, but even in spirituality and in evolution, Anahata chakra starts being lost. Like when you look at the trends of spirituality after the hippie years, The hippies came with make love, not war, and peace, and all that. Um, And then, when you look at every spirituality which came after those years, most of them don't favor Anahata Chakra. That means there are religions and spiritualities which involve a certain devotionalism, a certain degree of surrender, a certain amount of humility. A certain amount of modesty those are not really practiced properly what is being practiced are forms of spirituality which avoid anahata chakra because modern people have got themselves into a place where not only that the countries and the national souls lack so much anahata but the world is a competitive world based on business, based on the law of the jungle, on the big fish is eating the small fish, and the strong survive, and all that kind of stuff. And automatically, uh, therefore, Anahata is finding itself very persecuted. Like people are feeling embarrassed. The correct thing is that in the Western world, And I'm talking especially about Europe, North America, and, of course, its satellites because when we say North America and Europe, we also say Australia, New Zealand, South Africa to a certain extent. We also say Japan, uh, South Korea, but those are a bit peculiar because of the Asian background of the population. So when we say, when we speak about all these so-called civilized countries, there we see that very few people can practice Anahata chakra. All the, in the last 40 years, all the spiritual trends which come from Anahata, they have been booed, diminished, persecuted. They are not really seen as being good. For example, when North America thrived in its spiritual ideals, it thrived mostly in the 70s in Zen Buddhism which has basically zero Anahata chakra in its practices and in its aspirations, you are going to say, but it's harmonious, it's spiritual. Yes, but it's not a spirituality which goes through the heart chakra. It's not cultivated in any way, in any deliberate way. It went into other forms of Buddhism, like Buddhist meditations and lots of things like this are rampant. And don't think that I'm saying it now like a sort of a jealousy, like why does Buddhism uh, progress so much after all. It's not about that. I'm simply saying that people obviously choose forms of spirituality in which they don't have to sing, they don't have to cry, they don't have to love, they don't have to practice turn the other cheek and so on. Because in Zen Japan, turning the other cheek does not exist under that form. No, it's more like a tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye because everything is justice. When George Oshava wrote the basic principles for his medicine, the medicine of the Far East and which he called macrobiotics as his system based on food and diet, he defined seven characteristics, seven factors, which influence human health and They have 100 points, like those seven things, they sum up 100 points. One of them packs up 55 points or 60, I forgot. Like there is one which if you don't have in your life, you can do all the other six things completely, like diet, exercise, whatever the others are, you can do them perfectly, and still you will not be healthy, because there is one factor which is 55 percent or 60 percent, and that single factor alone is having the is the majority stockholder in the human economy. That factor, George Shava, didn't call it love, as you'd expect, but actually he called it justice. Like the human being needs to live in justice. It's exactly like the ancient Jews who said that the human being needs to live in righteousness. When Jesus came and spoke about this, he said this is rubbish because he said, who is righteous in the eyes of God? Don't you see what an arrogance is in this word that you say we are righteous? Really, when it came to punish that adulterous woman, he simply looked into their hearts and he said, let the man who has no sin, cast the first stone nobody could cast a stone because ultimately if you look honestly nobody is righteous 100 percent therefore this idea you see it in george oshawa george oshawa brings a manipura thing he says if you have a harmonious manipura which he calls justice if you live according to dharma if you live in righteousness then you are in harmony with the universe and you will be healthy. Even George shawa doesn't properly see the heart, the way of the heart, because it doesn't belong to his culture. He was a samurai. He was proceeding from a samurai family, and for him it was all about justice, righteousness, uprightness, or whatever other words you want to use that define values on Manipura. It is a very, very clear thing, That when people, if somebody wants to go from non-spirituality today to spirituality, they find it very difficult. We know it in Agama because in Agama we transmit the message of the yogis. And the yogis were not ashamed at all to say that at research, at the careful research, which they did generation after generation for thousands of years, they discovered that there existed a plane of energy and consciousness in this universe, which we call the seventh plane, corresponding to Sahasrara, the crown chakra, and which plane of energy and consciousness corresponds to a form of universal consciousness, to an ocean of awareness, which fills up the interstices of the universe, and which is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, and which corresponds very much to this idea of divinity, of God, and when we teach this in yoga there are many people who take months and months and months and months of experiments because in the beginning they feel very awkward it's like i'm coming i've studied my university in london or in paris and now i'm going to these dudes in the thai jungle and they talk to me about a universal consciousness that is omnipresent that gives me the creeps you know because i have been sliding out of the game already I definitely don't have, it's like, you can see it in the Matrix, you know, where this, the Oracle speaks with uh, Neo, the hero from the Matrix, and uh, he says, I don't believe in destiny, you know, because I don't like the idea that there is something out there which controls my existence in any way. Like, people are spooked, there is a sort of a slightly demonic, luciferic manipura where people say, I am me, I am free, you know, there is nobody. In Buddhism, this thing exists at, well, at a superficial level because people say, I don't depend on any god. It is me sitting under the Bodhi tree and doing Vipassana till I turn blue. And then one day I hit Nirvana and I did it. You know, me Tarzan, I did it. You know, I am the word. Like, where is the grace? Where is the humbleness? Where is the door which was opened for me? Nowhere, it's this this kind of attitude. I'm not saying that the Buddhists have it because that's not really what Buddha said. But people don't read carefully, and this is the first image which comes. And this attitude in all the theistic spiritualities of the West and of the East is called Luciferianism. That you believe that you can do it without God and you don't need anybody. People very easily slide into this because it disturbs them. It feels awkward to think that there might be something of which you depend. Shambhala doesn't make known its existence for the people of the earth precisely because of the same thing. We don't want people to get spooked by the fact that there exists a spiritual big brother somewhere which looks over the shoulder of everybody and kind of controls what is happening. And that's why we witness this aspect that in spirituality, Anahata disappears. I had the opportunity in the land where I was born to compare at least two kinds of Christianity. I was an atheist and a disbeliever in my young age, considering that science is all that there is. And there is nothing else if it's not proven in a laboratory by some physicists. Or chemists and therefore I did not have any attraction or preference, but I have been confronted in Romania. We are at the borderline of the Orthodox Christianity which comes from Russia, Greece and the eastern part, and the Catholic Christianity which is slightly present in Transylvania and more the western parts towards Hungary and the western parts of Romania. And because of this it's easy it was easy for us in the culture to see how do some of them behave and how do the others behave? What's the difference between this community and that community? And it appeared immediately, once you knew yoga, that the Catholic Christianity is way more manipuristic than the Orthodox Christianity. While in the Orthodox Christianity, there is still a lot of humbleness and modesty, and they don't want to be seen, they want to go in the forest and disappear, like they want to be anonymous, the Catholic Christianity with all its organs and huge cathedrals and all the pomp and so on, crushes. It's a crushing presence. It's a manifestation of power, which collaterally resulted in crusades, inquisition, and other manifestations where there is an iron fist which accompanies spirituality. While such things never happen, there has never been an inquisition, crusade, or any other similar phenomena or institutions in the Orthodox Christianity. I'm not saying this because I want to praise the Orthodox Christianity, because sometimes my observation is that the Orthodox Christianity has a pathetic lack of Manipura, which makes them very chaotic and not samurai, not vertical, while in the Catholic Christianity many of those things existed. Like it was much more easy to kick the ass of some Orthodox Christianity institutions than Catholics one. When the Communists took over Eastern Europe, the Orthodox bent over and they said, this is our asshole, you can fuck it as much as you want. And the Catholics stood stern and they fought against the Communism and they simply said, screw you, you are the devil, you are the atheists of, the, of hell and so on like they had a manipuristic thing, while the Anahata ones, they simply practiced a complete humbleness, but not necessarily associated by some dignity, by some so Every chakra is necessary. I'm not saying that one should have tons of Anahata and one should not have manipura, because that takes us in another hole. That takes us in another great pitfall. But usually, I've very seldom seen this danger that some people have so much anahata and put so much in their anahata that they forget to have some manipura. The tendency of the modern capitalistic world is to be egocentric, based on power, looking for comfort, the search for whatever, happiness, the quest, the pursuit of happiness, or whatever they called it in the American Constitution, and all that which simply means me, me, me. I was amused to tears almost, but they were half happy and half sad tears when one of the backpacker magazines from Asia, I think it was called Backpacker magazine or something like this, which was very famous 10 years ago when uh, we started Agama 11, 12 years ago and we started Agama here, they had a motto. It was called the Backpackers or something, I forgot. I think Backpackers is another one. There were two of them. And this backpacker magazine, which was very popular among backpackers, it was called, it had the subtitle, You, You, You. Like everybody wants to hear that. Because everybody wants their ego tickled. Like you are so important. Oh, you, you, you. Like let's worship you. Let's make a statue to you. And let's all worship, fall on our knees on how important this you is. This is just a culture of the ego. It's just an exaltation of the ego and it is dramatic from a spiritual standpoint. This is the road to hell. This is not the road to paradise. So that's why it's very difficult to cultivate, to reawaken the Anahata things, the way of the heart in modern spirituality. Even religions which were supposed to have it, like Christianity as I said, they preferred the more easy thing of Manipura. Like the Catholic Church noticed that as long as they stayed on Anahata, they were pushed around by the people, by the society, by history. Which was like Jesus told them to be. He simply said, you should be like sacrificial lambs. You should be like innocent doves. No, your goal in this world is not to acquire any proeminence or power Or praise or anything you should stick to the principles and then such institutions once they started having some Manipura they said wait a second now that we have soldiers now that we have bodyguards now that we have buildings now that now we can do things people listen to us and it gives the false impression this Manipura in spirituality it gives the false impression that you become more efficient that you become more uh, listened to, more visible, that you are better at it, which is a very, very terrible illusion. Because again, some Manipura is always needed, and even great mystics on Anahata, they had a great Manipura. Francis of Assisi had so much Anahata that he was preaching to the birds and the birds were sitting on his body when he was coming out of the church, the birds flocked and sat on his head and on his shoulders, probably crapping on him as well or something, but like he was like a magnet for the birds, No, How many of you, when you go out in the jungle or in the nature, birds come and sit on your body? What frequency on anahata? How intense your anahata should be that the birds should lose their fear and simply come and sit on you like you are God, like you are shining with blessing and so on. I met I met Anahata, people who told me this. They said, I don't know what happened. I worked, I did the meditation. I worked on Anahata. I came out of the yoga hall. Then a bird came and sat right on my shoulder. And I was even scared to look at it. It was such an amazing event. I could feel this little palpitating thing on my shoulder. And I was one with this bird. I was a bird. The bird was with me, you know. It's like I was in a in a world of their so this Francis of Assisi which I'm giving an example as Anahata and he was asked to do many Manipuristic things like to organize the Franciscan order the Pope who was much more on Manipura than Francis told him Francis you are a saint but the people who come after you they are not saints they are longing to be saints so they can't just spontaneously do things because you had the inspiration the grace Other people will help to build up the path. So why don't you write down what the rules should be? Like the, the people who will follow in your footsteps, they have to follow some rules. There is a canon. Francis of Assisi fell ill repeatedly. He ran in the forest. He got stigmata. And eventually he died before finishing those rules. Like it was like torture for him to have to put on paper because he was like a poet. He lived in a constant inspiration with the angels of God and he was like completely hectic, completely chaotic. Ask him to make a project management. Francis of Assisi was zero in project management. He would have been the most disastrous manager ever in history. He would have bankrupted any company would have asked him to manage a project because he was having this Anahata. But this Francis of Assisi that we praise, he's known in history as being such an Anahata person. He went pretty much on foot to Jerusalem and he met with Jalaluddin or whatever his name was, the Sultan in those days, one of the Sultans who was reconquering Jerusalem in those days. And he asked for an audience, boldly, to the sultan who was the conqueror in those days. The westerners were losing the holy land in that century. So the momentum was on the side of the Muslims. And this guy asked him, okay, what do you want? And Francis of Assisi looked like a child in his eyes. And he said, I came to convert you to Christianity. The guy looked at him and he said, you are nuts, right? Like we've seen some crazy like okay bye-bye you know and the guy simply said if you believe in your god as much as i believe in my god then please make a huge fire in the middle of the throne room here in the middle of the hall bring wood make a fire you or one of your people the highest priest in your people and i will both walk into the fire we will simply walk into the burning fire And if any one of us is in contact with God, the fire will not burn him. So let's see if it's your God or my God. Of course, the jaw of the Sultan dropped with a big noise. And he looked around, he thought, and then he said, Sir, you are very remarkable. I must admit, I've never seen anything like this. And he said, but I don't believe we'll find anybody in my palace, in my tent, in my camp who wants to do this trial together with you, this trial by fire. And then Francis of Assisi said, if nobody on your side wants to, then make a fire and I alone will go into the fire. His jaw dropped even further down if it was possible. Like is this anahata it is a lot of anahata but it's manipura as well only a very manipuristic person will have the cheek to go to the conqueror sultan of the day and to say your god sucks and to demonstrate it i'm going to walk in the middle of a fire here now no like anybody has balls show me that you believe in god and that your god is real and it's alive you know and even if you don't want to do it, you don't want to compete with me, I will do it. I myself will do it. Then let's see what you have to say. And Jalaluddin or whatever his name was, this Sultan Saladin or whatever his name was, then he simply said, you know, he refused. He, they, they were so afraid of what might happen that they didn't even want, you no, know, to be curious. Like, okay, let's make a fire and see this madman, what he's going to do because he realized that in case he did it it was going to be like a slap in the face for everybody it's going to, it was going to be really bad and then saladin or whatever his name was then he told him francis you did not make a convert but you did make a friend no oh, like somehow you've touched my heart like i've never seen anything like this this is who francis of assisi was So you cannot say that he didn't have Manipura when it came. When Shav came to push, he stood up and he went, you know, he was a crazy missionary. What was an Italian peasant from Assisi doing, going to try to convert the Sultan of the Muslims, you know, all the way into the Holy Land? But it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing, as I said, to look into this problem of the lack of Anahata Chakra. Even in India, this Anahata Chakra, because we speak of yoga, we are not a Christian monastery, we are not a Sufi dharga, we are not many things. We are not even an Indian ashram of Vedanta or of uh, Vaishnava Hinduism, devotion or something. We are a yoga school. Even in India and even in yoga, we are seeing the loss of an alarming amount of Anahata Chakra that means india in the old days it was a country with a lot of bhakti and a lot of devotion i have lived in india for four years and along the all these years since i've been concerned with yoga i've personally met many gurus many teachers many practitioners many people from india associated one way or another with a spiritual path very very seldom Like one in ten have I seen that they had a sort of an Indian Anahata Chakra. That famous Indian Anahata Chakra that most people expect, hopefully, and which in the hippie years it came quite abundantly, ever since in the last 40 years, 50 years, it kind of died to a large extent. Not permanently, not forever. I'm not talking about doomsday, I'm talking about a phase in the planetary evolution and in the society. But even in India, as well as in other countries where there used to be some Anahata Chakra, then uh, we see it decreasing a lot. To make you understand that, I will have to analyze a little bit together with you what are the characteristics of Anahata Chakra. So my statement will not be just a blind statement like this. Like, believe me, I tell you, Anahata Chakra has diminished. And even in India, like I met with so many yogis, nine out of ten were proud, arrogant, boastful, and a lot of other things which are exactly the antipode of Anahata Chakra. Like when you have Anahata Chakra, you are not this, you are not this, you are not this. There's a pretty clear list. And I'm going to give you a simple example of that, which is very well known in the West as well. And that's why I'm saying even even the legendary India, when it comes to Anahata type of spirituality, it suffers a lot. There exists a lot of histrionic Anahata, which means Svadhisthana, fake Anahata where people would go and scream some bhajans hysterically and get a couple of tears on their cheeks and pretend it's from Anahata, but it's just theatricals from Svadistana, because when it comes to real life and to the reactions, to the resonance, what's happening when somebody slaps you on one cheek and all that, then automatically these people don't pass the test. Then they show their real colors. There's a lot of Manipura, but when it comes to Anahata Chakra, when we know that many yogis had an amazing Anahata Chakra, and Anahata Chakra was very powerful in the Indian yoga especially, okay, Tibetans are more of the Asian DNA type, and everybody knows that all these Korean, Japanese, Chinese, even Tibetans to a certain extent, Thais, Vietnamese, and others, These are a manipuristic type of people. The DNA of the so-called yellow race, the Asian people, is a DNA which creates a lot of manipura. We have a lot of manipuristic lineages in Asia. The art of war and all sorts of samurai duty inspired things and many, many things like that. And there is nothing of a huge overwhelming anahata in asia the asia outside of india but the dna of the indo-europeans the dna of the indians pakistanis kashmiris and others which are not of asian dna is a dna which creates human beings which more easily go into the anahata typology it doesn't mean that asian people cannot but it's not specific to their culture and to their body type and they will have to work a little bit more on it It's exactly like you would say that a person that has a very white skin, like Scandinavians and Germanic people are, they show generally less fire. Because a very white, a milk white skin shows a lack of Tejas in the body, a lack of fire. So it's more difficult for people that are very white skinned to develop a strong Manipura chakra, although sometimes they might need it desperately, but it's... So don't take these things as a form of races. These are simply considerations, the observations of many centuries of yogis about human typologies. And the same goes with the astrological signs and so on. There are no form of discrimination. They're just observing everyone's strong sides and weak sides. And coming back to this, as I said, even in India where this trend was powerful, and there are schools of Indian spirituality which say in Kali Yuga, Bhakti is the only thing that you can do because people are not applying themselves to intense practice. Even Ramakrishna in the 19th century, he said, you should rather do bhakti. Bhakti is your way to God in the Kali Yuga. No, because, uh, no, at least you can love God. You can surrender to God. You can pray to God. You can, you know, and invite God in your life and love God and that's it. So, even though that is being said, very very often we find that even in the spiritual environments of India very often we find the fake anahata I've been in many environments and they knew from the guru of their guru that a yogi should be like this they didn't feel like in private they spoke crap about it but when they were in public suddenly they played it they were nice they were like they were having two faces a face for the public which was corresponding to a theatrical model, because that's how it was written in the books that a yogi should be. And then they had their personal opinion and their personal life, which was sometimes very, very different from the standards. So that's why I say, uh, even with yoga, we have this problem. I have seen spirituality in environments, like some of the Sufi environments, some of the Christian Orthodox environments, where through tradition this part of anahata was brought forth very very much it was put like in the doorway of the spiritual practice like even before i teach you the technology of prayer and the technology of breathing and so on the first thing which you do for the first three years you cultivate humbleness you cultivate anahata like Spiritual practice, they think, in those organizations, spiritual practice on the background of arrogance and vanity is going to make you go to hell. You are going to make some choices and some actions which will result in terrible results, terrible fruits. And that's why, you know, it's better that you don't learn spirituality at all if you are not in Anahata, because if you learn spirituality not being in Anahata, it's going to be an arrogant spirituality and you are going to do mistakes which will backfire on you. So, so intensely they were focusing on this aspect that I have seen some environments and then when I visited India first time and second time and then when I got there and lived there and so on, I was amazed that in yoga, While I was expecting to go in the world of yoga and expected to find a lot of people who were deeply in Anahata, because India does have this flavor of Anahata, nevertheless, nine people out of ten were completely far from that. I've seen more people in Anahata in some Christian monasteries. Not powerful, not wise, not yogic some of them lazy tamasic inert like not doing spiritual practice but still having a lot of anahata Uh, so that's not perfect that's full of flaws so there are many things to improve but funnily i've seen environments where people did yoga did know some technology and so on and they were not in the heart they were coming from somewhere else completely this the last 40 years 50 years ever since the hippies brought swami satchitananda and the likes of them to the west it has shown exactly yoga journal published in the 1980s if i remember correctly or 90s an article which was called gurus that fell off their pedestal and it was about all the scandal gurus from the 60s until today how many scandal stories have resulted In the Indian and Tibetan world when these people came out of their protected environment in their ashrams and monasteries and suddenly found themselves riding on a lot of money and on a lot of popularity and on a lot of groupies and fans and stuff like this and suddenly how their ego inflated terribly how the power corrupted very very much the power cannot corrupt so much somebody that has an anahata chakra it is said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely but that does not refer to francis of assisi francis of assisi was at no time corrupted by power although you can think of what a feeling of power this man must have had in his head that he went to the sultan of the muslims and he said i will walk in fire in front of you and everybody here To show you that my God is superior to your God and that your faith is flawed like what kind of confidence you need to have for that no and yet although that confidence was there there was no arrogance there was no vanity there was no ego there was no pride there was no willful imposing of authority and other such things which typically come from Manipura chakra that's why I, that it's one of the reasons for which I periodically choose to speak about this, because, especially today, most of you come from capitalistic cultures. Most of you come from countries where Anahata is a city in China. Most, and then you are coming to yoga and we teach you a powerful technology of self-transformation. And then two years later, we, the advanced teachers, we look at you and we say, what did we teach this person? because there is no love no humbleness no compassion no it's, it's just a kind of a bundle of selfishness it's just an agglomerated big manipura chakra just like a bomb of manipura chakra selfishness which now is educated in udiyana banda and navali kriya no but like isn't there there is something else to spirituality than this to educate a selfish person in powerful yogic things might even be a double-edged sword you know it's a sort of a better not gurus in the old days we are not here in a guru kulam no very few of you are coming spending time with me and staying here and getting closer and getting to know me personally and become part of what india calls guru kulam like the family of the guru the inner circle of the guru because of the nature of what we do here many of you are coming learning yoga we have the wish to teach excellent quality yoga perhaps the best yoga in the world or there around we want to be you know accurate and to teach something which works and which is amazing and not adulterated and not a caricatural transformation of yoga and all that but at the same time there is a the other edge of this because this yoga indeed it works Indeed, it gives power over oneself and eventually over others. And if this is grafted on a personality that has no humbleness, no love, no modesty, no tolerance and forgiveness, then automatically it can result in bad things. Here in Agama, especially when when we were in India, People were getting inspired sometimes by some things in the Indian environment because it's still there. Here in Thailand, we live in a country where if you go outside of Agama, the only other alternative thing which you discover is Vipassana or Muay Thai, Thai boxing, you know. None of them is really a path of Anahata. So we live in and people, you know, if you go to the travel agents and to 7-Eleven and so on, you don't find people on Anahata. You find people who are dominant on Manipura most often it can be a nice Manipura it can be a harmonious Manipura sometimes no not always but sometimes and that's why I say uh, it's a matter of also of inspiration how much inspiration should I just cut out all the asanas on Manipura and then teach some sort of anahata yoga for six months like the first six months you come to Agama I should just pump you up with anahata pump you up with anahata pump you up with anahata Because that's what's lacking and we need to do yoga wouldn't work the same way and many of you who need healing who need sublimation of energy who need other urgent things in your life you wouldn't get those things and then what would be good from one standpoint would be flawed somewhere else so what I'm trying to say here is it's very difficult to create an environment on anahata we do not have enough money to buy land and to build an ashram so that you can come inside so we lock the key and throw it away and you can stay in an ashram environment for a month or two or three and really be modeled by that. The community itself is pretty chaotic because people live in bungalows and resorts and they meet once a week in a satsang or in something like that and in some other activities of the school but ultimately the lifestyle here is pretty individualistic everybody does pretty much whatever they want they come to the classes they come to some activities that they choose and for the rest there's no discipline there is nothing you know where you can verify your selfishness where you can verify your degree of humbleness or something and because of this therefore this becomes necessary we do bhajans and more and more people are coming to bhajans, which shows that the quality of the bhajans is improving and also that the people understand the message, that they feel that when they sing, their heart is opening and sometimes tears are coming. And sometimes even the bhajans in mysticism, they have pros and cons because there are mystics who notice that when some people do bhajans, they sing too loud. They start shouting instead of singing. And shouting is not on Anahata. For example, Anahata Chakra people, they tend to be very soft in the voice and in behaviors. For example, the Thais, who seem to have, besides this Manipura, some sort of Anahata in their culture, they abhor when Westerners are loud. And they tell us, like we who lived here for years, they sometimes tell us, we hear complaints from the people that we know here. And they tell to me or to Maha or to some of the advanced teachers in the school, they say, we like you. You talk like we talk. But these other people, all these other farangs who come here for a month, they are like this. You know, it's like, this is so threatening. It's so not anahata. It's so, you know, instead of being soft, instead of speaking in a soft voice. You no, you always like bulge out, like I'm the belly button of the world, you know. See me, notice me, you know, remark me, I'm here, you know. It's like, no, that, that person deserves a cold shower. That person deserves a baseball bat over their head to wake up, you know. From a, they, that person lives in an ugly dream where they advertise themselves nonstop, you know. It's like me, 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 you, you, you. You know, it's that thing like, no, and people say, but I need to express myself. That's not expression. Express your humbleness. No, that's also a way of expressing yourself. Expression doesn't mean that you have to make yourself visible and loud. That's a lack of humbleness. The humble person wants to disappear, always. That's why I'm simply saying, even with the bhajans, we do bhajans, But even there, we focus on Anahata. We send advanced teachers who are focusing in Anahata. They are generating a field of energy on Anahata. And still, in Bhajans, there are people who go in Svadistana and they develop a sort of hysteria. They start crying hysterically. And for them, the Bhajan is almost like a theater scene. It's like actorship, you know, that you are playing a role. Now I'm going to be devoted. For 45 minutes because I go to bhajans you know it's like you are going and playing Hamlet no it's like you are Hamlet you are not you are just playing Hamlet you are playing a Krishna devotee because you are singing Hare Krishna Hare Krishna but are you or is it just playing so half part of it is hysteria part of it is Manipura shouting and so on for example the early Christian mystics from the desert when they were serving the mass, they were serving the mass in very unelegant ways. Like there is a story from the Fathers of the Desert with one of the monks who comes from the city, from a monastery, and he comes to one of these little skitties, one of these little monasteries in the desert, and there there are seven monks who live separate and they just gather for the mass. And, all of, and the mass was really lousy, like they did it. But there was like the singing was pathetic. They would just mumble a few things and so on. And the guy said, why don't you do a beautiful mass praising God? You know, like something which befits God. You guys are a caricature. Your mass is cacophonic. It's like offending God. And these this ascetics from the desert, they said, that's what you guys from the city do. And basically because of this, you are proud that you are making good mass. And then you are going to hell because of your pride. Like we do it lousy and then we whip ourselves of how lousy our mass is. So we can keep ourselves humble because we we don't sing beautifully. You guys sing beautifully and they use the expression, the guy used the expression, he says, you nourish yourself through your ears. Like you sing so beautifully that you are enchanted with yourself. It's again you, you, you. Look how beautifully I'm singing to Krishna. But what does the ego do? The ego inflates like a balloon because of that. So they practiced bad singing, you know, they didn't train just to stay humble. For them, the humbleness was a hundred times more important than singing beautifully. But that's what God deserves. Don't worry. God has whatever he needs. You are not supposed to give anything to God. God doesn't need you or your singing. It's just an illusion that you are important and that you matter. It's an illusion of the ego that now I'm going to do something which will make God happy. God is happy anyway. You don't need to do anything. It's just another illusion of the ego. And that's why, so even that, we know with bhajans, we do them. But remember, focus on anahata and how do you see any tree is known by its fruits. You can say that there is anahata, but when you see loudness, when you see impudence, when you see things which are, you know, caricatural like this, then you see that there is no anahata. There are very simple ways of looking and seeing. So if I do bhajans and more and more I become more forgiving, more loving, more heartful, then it's clear that I'm doing it the right way. But if I'm doing it and then I'm saying, oh, I feel very open and outgoing after this bhajan. Is that what Anahata gives or it gives a sort of introspection? It's more like I want all of you to leave me alone. I just want to go into my bungalow and hide and cry and pray and be in my heart, you know, because I, I didn't do it so that I can say, oh, I was a little bit blocked and now I did... One hour of bhajan and I feel like going and picking up a girl in a bar or something like that. That's your anahata. That's what anahata does. You know, like the tree is known by the fruits. Which are the fruits of anahata chakra? And that's why we need to look at it because on one hand it's true. And I still recommend all of you who feel that your anahata chakra is not good enough. And it's a huge question mark. Who in this room has an Anahata chakra big enough. You, know, you can ask yourselves this kind of question. And then if you feel your Anahata chakra is not big enough, as proportional to our chakras at least, of course go to bhajans and kirtans. I don't want to discourage, but I'm simply saying bhajan and kirtan is not enough because sometimes you can get it wrong. You need to have further focusing on Anahata because you need to see the fruits of Anahata blossoming appearing in your structure. And uh, to understand that, let's look at the very characteristics of it. No, because I, I didn't bring all of them. I wanted to bring a quote from Kularnavachan Tantra, which works about it, and I wanted to bring uh, other quotes. In time, in other satsangs, and in the Q&As which I'm having, you can ask me more about this, and I'll give you more landmarks about it. But one of the most classical definitions of love in the world mystical literature, if it's probably one of the top five quotes about love in the spirituality of this world, like how many people have heard about it and how many people are acting on it, is of course the definition of love of Paul, the Apostle of Christ, in the, his letter to the Corinthians, is the famous thing about love and says paul no and i'm reading it not only because of the beauty and of the resonance like some of you will get goosebumps when you'll hear some of the things which paul says even those of you who heard it 10 times before when you listen to it the 11th time you are still going to get goosebumps and perhaps tears will come in some of your eyes but the point is not that the point is that in between the lines here we have a description of the human being that is indeed well-developed in Anahata Chakra. And then we can see what the standards are. Listen, I, had it, I have it printed as well, but then I chose, I didn't like the translation, and I chose to take it from one edition of the New Testament where I like the translation. It's updated to a more modern English language, and it ex- it's more expressive because it uses the correct language. And Paul says, even if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Like, it doesn't matter that you can walk on water. He says, even if I walk on water, if I walk on water and have no love, I'm empty. When I will get old and prepare to die, I will be a fake, I will be a hoax. It will not work. I often said to many people, because many people come and tell me they are confused, they don't have a clear goal in life, and they use some stereotypical sentences. And when I ask them, what do you want to do in life? What do you want to do with yourself? They say, well, I don't know. I want to be happy. I'm telling you so that you know from the standpoint of yoga, a development of the human being without anahata, when you are 60 years old, It brings no happiness. There is no real happiness if you don't have anahata. Only the person with anahata chakra experiences that particular type of joy. When you are young, you can replace it with this buoyant, puppy-like energy of youthfulness. You get a hard on, you go and have sex, you club, you jump, you hop, you bungee jump, you do crazy stuff and you feel happy which is not really happiness. It's more like adrenaline junkie, of hormones, different other reactions which are give you are, you know, you are doing a bit of jogging and it produces oxytocin in your brain. No, because you have oxytocin, it doesn't mean you are happy. It means you feel good for 25 minutes or something like that. But what I'm trying to say here is this. If you contemplate happiness, indeed, Remember that the happiness, as it is described in most places, it's coming with the help of Anahata Chakra. The heart has something. It has an ingredient in the human life, in the human cocktail, which gives happiness, joy, this joy from the soul. That's why it is very important, and Paul has seen it. Paul was already pretty adult, pretty old when he got his enlightenment. And as he was getting older and preaching the message of Christ he could see immediately what everything was depending on if, if and he continues if i have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if i have faith that i can move mountains To move mountains, like Jesus said. You know, you have faith as much as a mustard grain and you can tell to this mountain to move and it will move. And if I have faith that can move mountains, so you can perform miracles, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, which means you can give everything to the poor and surrender to the flames without having love. It doesn't come from the heart chakra. You can do it from Manipura or even from Svadhistana sometimes. If, even if I give my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. How powerful is this statement until here? No, like love is more important than moving mountains with your faith. Without love, you are facing a huge emptiness in front of you which is not giving Happiness or meaning. And he continues, and now we start seeing those characteristics. Love is patient, love is kind. No, now take it back. Are you patient? Any one of you says, I'm impatient. You don't have love. I'm sorry to say it. It's not me who says it, it's this dude who says it. He says, If you are impatient, there's no love, because love automatically gives patience. You can wait and wait and wait and have an infinite patience. Love is patient. Love is kind. Are you kind? Or are you the wolf of Wall Street? Are you lean and mean? Uh, in your heart you are a beast who goes for the kill. You know, are you the, that kind of person? Or are you kind? Are you kind? Well, on your cross or on your funeral monument whatever your funeral monument will look like are they going to write here lies a kind man or a kind woman or are you a bitch, an asshole an incomfortable person that constantly steps on other people's toes and produces suffering, displeasure annoyance in people, are you kind kind people are trying not to be annoying kind people are trying to be kind Good. How many people in this room can say at least these two things? I'm patient, like I forgive a lot, I wait a lot, and I am kind. Just two, but the list continues. It gets better and better. Love does not envy. How much envy do you have, guys? How envious are you when you see people around you having what you don't have? People have money, you don't have money. People have sex, you don't have sex. People have happiness, you don't have happiness. How is your envy level in your life? Love does not envy. Love, it does not boast. How many of you are boasting? How much did you boast in the last one week? About whatever it is. How smart you are, how strong you are, how beautiful you are. How kind you are. Are you boasting? Yeah, but also I did like slap your mouth and shut up. Boasting. Love does not boast. If you are a boaster, inquire about your levels of love as well. Love does not boast, it is not proud. What about pride? You know, pride made Lucifer become the devil. Because he was too proud and he said, I can do what God does. I don't need God. I'm as good as God. That's the Christian mythology about it. The Jewish, actually, mysticism starting it. No? Like, how much pride as opposed to humbleness. Like Rumi says, a lover knows only humility. He has no choice. Rumi knew. That's why when you hear Rumi talking, you'd see this man was there. He's not coming and saying, I love God and God loves me and how proud I am. He says, I love God and God loves me. And this makes me feel so humble because I don't know how I deserved this grace. I'm the last of man. I am, you know, like this guy here says, because Jesus Christ came to save all the sinners of the world, out of which the first I am, Paul. He says, you think I'm an apostle, but he says, I'm the worst of the sinners because I killed people. I persecuted people before being... I'm a garbage. I consider myself so humble. No, I don't deserve to be praised in any way. I'm the last sinner. He says, you guys are less sinful than I am. And he is one of the apostles. of He speaks in the name of Jesus. And yet he says, I'm the last sinner. No, this is humbleness this is the lack of pride how many people can cultivate indeed humbleness and modesty which is a sign of love it was mahatma gandhi who said the humility is the solid foundation of all virtues mahatma gandhi is an indian man who lived up to the anahata of his ancestors and the peasants of india recognized him immediately they clicked They called him Mahatma, great soul, uh, Atma in Anahata. No, Mahatma. Somebody who is Mahatma, who has a great soul, must have a great Anahata. Mahatma Gandhi was a Libra. He was an air sign astrologically. And somehow, mysteriously, he had some Manipura. In his life, he was sometimes very stubborn and very pig-headed. And nevertheless, 90-something percent of the time, it was Anahata, Anahata, Anahata. So, listen to Gandhi. You know, humility is the solid foundation of all virtues. You have the virtue of tapas. You are fasting. You are doing tapas. If you are fasting and you are doing tapas without humility, you will go to hell. You will go like Lucifer and think that you are enough and sufficient and you don't need anybody and you are strong enough and fuck God and fuck anything like this. And then this is where it goes. This is where you go without humility. Humbleness is extremely important in spirituality, especially as you become stronger. Especially as you grow up, if there is no humility, then things are going bitter. It is not rude. Oops. It's almost a staple of the backpacker culture that people like to be rude here and there. You see it everywhere. The Farangs in Thailand, it's one of the main labels. Farangs, Thais think are rude. Of course, it doesn't mean that the Thais can't be rude, because we have seen Thais becoming very rude and so on. It's a selfish evaluation. But still, it's an evaluation when you see it from outside, like rudeness. How rude are you? Because it is as Jesus said, be you gentle as doves. Take the image of the dove, of the pigeon. Is, it, is the pigeon or dove rude, at least in the way we see it? Maybe some of you have National Geographic Studies or something, and you are going to tell me that actually that when Jesus spoke about it, he didn't have National Geographic Studies or Zoologic, zoopsychological Studies on the dove. And from the standpoint of the common person, the dove is a symbol of gentleness, of being delicate, of being shy, of being... No, this is the opposite of it. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Like, everything for me, for me, for me. Can I blow my trumpet? Can I beat my drum a little bit more? All the time self-advertising self-advertising see in the competitive Anglo-Saxon culture especially America it's like if you don't blow your trumpet and if you don't beat your drum nobody will and therefore you have to speak louder than the other people you have to stand more proeminently you have to make yourself seen because otherwise you are going to miss a lot of opportunities and you will not be noticed and you will not be offered jobs or proposals or whatever that's a culture which is not on anahata that's exactly the non-anahata of all these cultures that instead of trying to efface yourself to make yourself less visible you try to take yourself out in bold relief listen what tibetan yoga the tibetans understood anahata being yogis and being on somehow on the borderline of India with the rest of Asia. And in Tibetan yoga, one of the principles, they have the so-called the Ten Signs of a Superior Man, teachings given to Tibetan disciples from the very first weeks of study of yoga. And they have something which is called the Ten Signs of a Superior Man, and you have to meditate on them. And one of these ten signs is the following. To choose defeat for yourself and allow victory for others is the sign of a superior man. But, hey, if you do that in business, you are going bankrupt, no? If Coca-Cola concedes victory to Pepsi-Cola, they are off the market. No, they can't. They have to bite. It's a tooth and nail struggle for the market. That's why the business world is not on Anahata, and it can never be. Because anahata is not about competitiveness or winning anahata is about like you first no like here is the last piece of bread but you will not get any it doesn't matter I'm happy to see that you are having it like I am coming second it's okay if I'm coming second and if I don't get anything by coming second you spend too much time talking to this person And now it's too late and you don't have time to talk to me it's okay Anahata says it's okay I sacrifice myself the other person got the lion's share and I'm getting less or maybe today nothing it's okay this is Anahata when you are in Anahata you do this do I see this 99% of the time no people are competitive competitive all the time all the time this competitiveness can be very good in business, but when it comes to the development of the heart, it's a poison. You cannot think, oh, my Anahata, your Anahata is bigger than my Anahata. I envy you, and at the same time, I want to compete with you. I'm just like, this is not what Anahata is like, not what love is like. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It doesn't say it is not angered, because Jesus became angry, When people pushed it beyond a certain limit, then Jesus stood up and said, enough is enough. It's not that you cannot get a divine anger, but it's not easily angered. Are you easily angered? Or can you take a lot of beating before you actually start getting angry? How much can you take? How much can you endure? Are you on a short fuse or is your fuse long and patient? Love? is not self-seeking, love is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, are you a grudgy person who never forgives anybody for anything, love the air element makes the person in psychology slightly sanguine and it is known sanguinic people forget everything very easily, tomorrow they've already forgotten what has happened today, That's a characteristic of Anahata Chakra, actually. Because you don't stay with and Even 20 years later, you come up with some revenge. Revenge, I still remember, and so on. Love, says Paul, is, keeps no record of wrongs. That's, but then the law, when you have a file with the police, and they have all your record, the police is not on Anahata. And it's not meant to be on Anahata. That's why they keep a record of wrongs. There are institutions in the society which are not on Anahata. But what about the spiritual practitioner who needs to go in Anahata Chakra? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Like somebody slanders, calumnies, says evil things. The Anahata person automatically feels like taking a step back and say, I don't want to be part of this. It hurts me just to hear it, just to see it. You know, it's like, I I don't want to be part of this. The love does not rejoice in evil, but, as he says here, rejoices with the truth. Like, Like Jesus, he said, it doesn't matter if you have what to eat or not, but there is the Word of God. People don't need only bread. People also need the word of God, like the truth. Jesus was not so upset that a woman committed adultery. and He was not tolerant, totally. Like he said, go home and sin no more. Like he didn't say, oh, continue, it's fine. But he said, you are forgiven. No, God is merciful. Go home and sin no more. But when it came to the people who distorted the truth, his favorite targets, those corrupt priests, and so on, he went on them full power. Like when it came to the truth, like the love rejoices with the truth. What is the truth? The truth should be told. It is precious to the heart of the spiritual people to go into this spiritual truth. What is the truth of God and all those things? And then he concludes with a beautiful paragraph which is less about characteristics. I have more characteristics somewhere else. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Do you always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere? This is what love would make you do. Again, let's not talk black and white. Let's talk about 30% of this in your psychology. Let's talk about 70% of this in your psychology. There are many shades of gray, but that's exactly the kind of thing that we are trying to, uh, to emerge in our consciousness. Either you look at the noble truths of Buddha, and you look at what is the proper behavior of a spiritual Buddhist person. Or if you look into the ideals of the Indian Hindu Ashramites. Or if you look in such ideals. Somewhere here in the Bible, I was looking now, but I don't know the Bible, and I can't find uh, things like this. But there is a paragraph where Paul himself, in another letter, not this one to the Corinthians, he describes the so-called gifts of the Holy Spirit. He said, when a human being is, kind of blessed by the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit descends upon you, when you are graced about the Holy Spirit, this, 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 this this happen. Those are exactly the same things. Love, Anahata, the divine blessing. Okay, perhaps some of them are higher than Anahata because not only Anahata is the only thing in spirituality. There is also the, the aspect of Sahasrara and the other things. So... There are other sources. I have a source in the Kularnava Tantra, which it gives characteristics of a true disciple. You read the characteristics of a true disciple from an Indian Tantra, and you're going to see that 75% of them are Anahata. Anahata, 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 Anahata. Like the ancient gurus of India, they wanted, there is something. The first one is always courage. Like you have to have courage. Because everybody tells you that if you do yoga, you are just buying a dream and it's nothing and you risk to waste your life and better make a career, better make 15 children, better make yourself a solid house which will resist 500 years or something and then that's the way to live your life. And if you want to reach nirvana, it's like, right, you are an idiot like Buddha was, you know, you go in the forest and hope to find something which… You don't even know what it is or how it is or no we just have rumors about it and nobody can describe it properly eventually no this is what it is you need to have courage like disciples in spirituality need to have courage because you need to make some choices about your life and if you have no courage you will not have the power to make those choices but it's besides courage and a few other such things most of the qualities are actually not courage would be on manipura but 75% of the others, they are not in Manipura, they are about anahata. They are about being loving, being tolerant, being full of forgiveness and all those beautiful qualities of the heart. That's why uh, I could extend this list, I could make so many correspondences with it, and again I intend to do some, but that's why uh, remember that this rabbit hole goes much deeper and you should research more and more. Meher Baba, the controversial Indian guru that Paul Brunton describes a hundred years ago, he's having a marvelous quote about love, which unfortunately I don't have available these days. When Meher Baba talks about love, you can see that that's a man who understands the heart, who really was there. It's hard to say if Meher Baba was really so enlightened as he pretended to be, but definitely he had a very big Anahata Chakra, that much he had for sure. You can see from what he writes, somebody who doesn't have a good Anahata chakra, doesn't understand, wouldn't be able to come up with any original statement about Anahata which checks, which indeed is true. People, you know, in English language, England not being a country where Anahata is very developed, in English language they prefer to translate the word love by the word charity. And then, of course, all the decent Anglo-Saxon gentlemen and ladies, they do charity, but they have no love. That's the sad thing, because charity is not the same thing with love. Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, they can do charity because they have tons of money. (coughs) It doesn't mean love. It doesn't mean the activation of Anahata Chakra. (coughs) So even the words are... Corrupted in this way. Now so in Japan, linguists have discovered that there was no word for love. The word which was used for love was a word which rather meant duty. But love is not duty. Well, if you are unless you are Japanese. Because then if in your culture nobody has Anahata Chakra very developed, then you follow the ways of the society, which says a person <coughs> has to demonstrate their love this way, this way, this way, this way there is no word for love and thus I could extend this I could show you so many connections I don't want to stay too late because time is running and that's why let's let me rather read the immortal words of Paul just to encourage you because now he dis, he's not a description he just wants to tell you how powerful how important love is he says love never fails but where there are prophecies they will cease Where there are tongues, like I'm speaking in the tongues of angels, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Ultimately, this is an ode to love. How to guide yourself to discover a bit of love. As I said, find the gifts of the Holy Spirit or I'll find them and read them for you. One day you are going to see. It's most of them stuff which comes from the heart again. Ludwig van Beethoven one day said that for me the only sign of evolution is goodness. Well, Ludwig van Beethoven was a genius, not a guru or an enlightened being. Still he had a word to say, and his word is this, Ludwig van Beethoven says, if you want to show me that you are not a monkey, but an angel, if you want to show me that you are far from the gorilla and close to the angel, then the only sign which I accept is goodness. If you are not good, you are a gorilla. You are not an angel. The more you evolve, the more you go towards goodness. It is so shocking for some people to see the amount of free wickedness in the world that people want to bite, they want to harm, they want to do something wicked. And it's so disarming for the people have this love, which feel like innocent as a dove, as Jesus said. No, like why would some people want to throw shit, to slander, to do wicked things, you know, it's like, what does it serve them? What, what satisfaction can a soul get from that? For what? For which purpose? There is so much wickedness in this world, and we're asking ourselves why some people have this itch up their ass that now they want to do something impish and wicked. And you know, when everybody normally would try to do something good, where is this coming from? So, we could go much further, but let me, I wanted to read to you the famous quote from Kahlil Gibran about love, about the characteristics of love, but I don't have time. I see it's late and all of you can read Kahlil Gibran, the prophet, and we sometimes talk about it even in the Tantra workshops because their sex makes it so difficult that you see what real love is because sex gives us pseudo love. It's a love based on hormones and on pleasure and so on. And true love is not based on pleasure only. Like, pleasure is not bad. But it should not be the conditioner of that. So, we talk a lot about love because the world uh, has lost their way. There is less and less anahata. Less and less love. Even in spiritual teachings, you know, I teach, I see so many things. Like, I read the... let's say the celestine prophecy this famous cultish book it became a series of books i read that book i saw that movie there's almost no anahata into it i saw the lord of the rings the hobbit you know there's no anahata you don't see any anahata like where is the aspiration where is the surrender where is the ishvara pranidhana where is the anahata the isn't. The modern world is choosing ideals which are very dry from this standpoint. And this is a sad thing because when you get old, you get dry and you can be spiritual. You can be intelligent. You can be metaphysically advanced. But this doesn't make you happy. It doesn't give that unique joy of the soul which is coming through Anahata Chakra. That's why... Uh, here, we talk very much about aspiration. No, without anahata, what aspiration there is? You look at many people who do martial arts or other things, and you see that for them it's not aspiration. For them what works is called self-discipline. It's a manipura thing, that you discipline your thing because that's your duty, and that's what you are supposed to do, and that's what you chose to do, and you do it. But does it come from the heart? No. No because they don't even try to come from the heart very often. There are lineages in which if you express love, oh, it, love is a delusion, it's just a vriti. it's just a samskara of the mind, you shouldn't care about it. But really, in the harmonious development of the human being, you cannot ignore one of the four basic elements. And this is the element which is most depleted. Of all the four chakras and of all the four elements, as I said, Anahata is the most depleted. It is very sad because we are being told not only by Jesus, many mystics. I spoke with several gurus in my life and most of them had this opinion that it is a sort of understatement in the spiritual world that we are in a cosmic cycle now which the Hindus call Kali Yuga and the finality of this Kali, each cosmic cycle It's like you go through a season. No, like what's happening in the end of the spring? What's happening in the end of the summer? What's happening in the end of the autumn? Like every season is having a sort of a deadline, a purpose in nature. And when that purpose is reached, if if this is an education from God, then each season of education, each yuga, each cosmic cycle, it has a purpose. So what is the purpose of Kali Yuga? Most of the gurus and texts that I've consulted agreed on, not all, most of them, more than 80% of them, said the same thing. Our perception is that in the end of this Kali Yuga, which may come in 50 years or in 500 years or in 5,000 years, we don't know exactly. But they said in the end of this Kali Yuga, the human beings have to reach a level of consciousness, a level of consciousness, not some pranic vibrations a level of consciousness a presence in anahata chakra this most of my teachers gave me this as a standard that if you or your disciples by the end of this kali yuga you reach a level of consciousness of anahata chakra you will pass you are pro- you graduate and if you do not reach then you have to repeat the cosmic cycle again Exactly as a child in school that is bound to repeat a class if he or she did not reach the ideals set for the to be fulfilled in that class. So important, Anahata Chakra, it is. Metaphysicians say that's why Jesus came before the, the end of Kali Yuga. Like there happened many things before Jesus. Some of them we don't remember. Was there a continent called Lemuria or Mu long, long time ago? Was there a continent called Atlantis long, long time ago? If they were, what technology did they have? What books did they read? How did their society look? What spiritual practice did those people do who today are disappeared and we even doubt if they existed? Therefore, there are many things which we don't know. But the fact that Jesus came and gave this message so authoritatively and so strong And then so many gurus, Yogananda, Ramakrishna, Rumi, you name it, so many saints and mystics in the last 2,000 years, they come up with this again and again. It shows that there is a wisdom to it. Like the human being has as first target, the heart. You are not going to finish university in the end of this Kali Yuga, spiritual university. Not everybody will become fully enlightened there is still to go to Buddhahood but there is a sort of landmark there is a partial examination there is a partial standard uh, something which needs to be fulfilled that partial standard at least until the end of this Kali Yuga reach the heart reach Anahata chakra that's what most of my teachers believe and they said even Jesus is an example of that, because if Jesus was indeed God, as He claimed to be, then automatically He should have known why did He teach to people the ideal of the heart. Why didn't Jesus teach Zen Buddhism, meditate on Hara all day long? Because He was in a country which was very manipuristic. The Jews of His day, as as much as many Jews and Israelis of today, have quite a strong manipura. There is quite a bit of Manipura in that culture. No? Why didn't Jesus come and say, you know what, I think I should teach karate and Zen. No, because these guys, that's what they are good for, for karate and Zen. And suddenly he comes and teaches them something which is like a splash in the face. Like, guys, give up your strong Manipura, trust me and follow me that I take you in Anahata. Some did, some didn't until today the same is valid not it's not about the Jews the same is valid about the whole humanity the Christian message was preached in Japan and the Japanese medieval daimyos the feudal lords they said we would like this Christianity of yours exception made that there are two of the Ten Commandments that we cannot abide by thou shall not kill like we are samurai don't tell us this shit that you cannot kill and uh, you shall not fornicate because we are polygamous people here in in this zen buddhist we have consorts lovers so if you tell us that we should just have one sexual partner for the rest of our lives we don't become christian if you can burn down the commandment about the killing and this and pretend that moses gave just eight commandments and not ten then we become christian we like christianity but if you give christianity with this so it didn't catch it again it didn't catch because the manipura chakra was feeling insulted provoked by this anahata chakra message and then why did jesus if he was supposed to be so intelligent and so skillful and so present why did jesus come up with a model from the heart was he stupid enough not to realize that it is not going to catch that it's a bridge too far no it's like he did it anyway because traditionally that is considered to be the truth humanity is going towards anahata chakra there is more and more anahata chakra our planet although it is dominated by the water element strictly speaking when you look at it from the cosmos it looks blue and the blue is not the color of the water the blue is the color of the sky is the color of the air element that's why many metaphysicians say This planet starts from water, and when it blossoms, indeed, this is going to be an Anahata Chakra type of planet. When human beings will be bodhisattvas, and when we'll be into a sort of a Satya Yuga, this is the kind of human being that will walk the face of the earth. A human being who is a bit like Rumi, who is a bit like Ramakrishna, who is a little bit like Teresa of Avila, a a heartful a mirabai if you want an Indian woman example uh, woman a man who is of the heart and that's why remember I don't have time to insist on the cycles of evolution but there are many ways of implementing the heart chakra I remember reading so such inspiring stories like I remember when I was visiting a monastery where I was learning chiropractic from an old monk they had stories like in the nearby monastery there was there had been a monk and this monk um, all the monks in the monastery they decided that when the Lent for Easter starts the Lent is a period of time where you are supposed to be vegan in traditional Christianity so before Easter there are 40 days or 42 days or something seven weeks up till 49 days of veganism strict veganism and um, but these monks being in a tough monastery They wanted to make a bit of black fasting. So for the first seven days, they actually went on black fast. Every year, every year, all the monks in the monastery, seven days before Easter, in the beginning of the Lent, they were going on fast. And then after seven years, they started eating, but modestly and vegan. They observed the Lent as regularly. There was this one monk that after seven days, he didn't want to stop. And in in the Christian church, in this Orthodox church, uh, monks and nuns, they are not supposed to do anything without having received an authorization or a blessing. Because they have a vow of obedience, precisely to humiliate themselves and precisely to surrender, so not to be arrogant. Like, I do what I want because I know what is best. A parenthesis to this. One of the greatest Christian saints of Syria or Lebanon, was the one who was called Simon, Simon the Stylite. He was called the Stylite because he lived on the top of a pole of a tower, self-built tower, which in Greek, if I remember correctly, or in Latin, it was called stylus. So that's why they are called stylites, people who live on top of a pole. In the beginning, their poles were fir trees, like they were taking these fir trees from Lebanon, these tall fir trees, they were cutting the tip of it, they were putting a one-meter square platform on top of it, cut all the branches under, climbed up there, and never came down. You probably don't imagine what it is in the sun and in the wind and in the night and in the storm and in the desert cold to live alone like a bird 30 meters up on a platform in the view of everybody. That means peeing, pooping, eating. They gave them food with a basket. They had a rope and they received food with a basket. If they received any food, if the people downstairs didn't forget to come and visit them so this guy Simon later he built himself a stone tower people built for him a stone tower a narrow one like the mosque towers and he was living on top of it and this was a beginning of a form of tapas in christianity where some people lived like the birds they didn't want to touch the earth they wanted to be close to heaven and to live with very little physical needs and so on It was an extremely difficult tapas, extremely difficult lifestyle, inconceivable. And then the church authorities, in those centuries the the church was already coming up, and the church authorities hear that there is a man called Simon that millions of people, or whatever, considered to be a saint. And people are flocking there, and some epileptic people, as soon as they came under his tower, they got healed instantaneously, and miracles are happening and the church started scratching its head and saying oh gosh you know like this sounds like the devil like the biggest problem is is there still humility there or are we going towards somebody who is boasting and inflating like this man shines like the sun it's such a huge danger in shining like the sun because your ego is going over the top so they sent the bishop the local bishop was not a saint of any kind and this local bishop goes and they put a ladder for him and he goes up there and he goes up and Simeon was praying and he says Simeon I was sent by the other bishops and so on or maybe it was a servant of the bishop or something and they are very worried about you what you are doing here no like people are praising you like you are Jesus or something no and I've been sent to bring you down the bishop says come and talk to him You know, because of, you know, you you have to be corrected. Like this man was doing a tapas which was superhuman. The bishop was a jellyfish compared with this man. This man was the real deal. And the bishop, who can say that's just a pompous man in a uniform, now that asshole wants to show his muscle and is telling me to interrupt my spiritual tapas where I'm standing 15 hours up straight like a pillar of light like this, And he wants me to come and account in his office, you know. He wants to pull my ear. How irritating can that be when you are like that? And Simon immediately said, the bishop says this, okay, I'm coming. And he started descending down the ladder. He interrupted everything. And then that man clapped him on the shoulder and he said, stay, don't come. This was just a test. I was sent to test you because if you didn't want to come, then it was for sure that you are becoming demonic but because you are so obedient and you immediately said what yes of course then it means you are still humble like the humbleness matters very very much can you still be humble when you are making a tapas which nobody you can make like what a power you must have to keep that lifestyle but can you still be humble in spite of that and now to the story from this monastery because this was a paradox this monk so everybody has to do things in in this part of the religion with blessing like if you do it alone it can be a manifestation of your demonic pride so you say I want to fast for 40 days not for seven days can I please and then your elder somebody older than you who is your confessor and who knows you very well says you are proud you are the manipuristic, arrogant bastard and now you want to put a 40-day fast under your belt you want to have one more reason to be proud and arrogant no you cannot fast and if he says you cannot fast then you should not fast it's as simple you have to be obedient you have to humiliate yourself this monk in the monastery he was disobedient of course nobody could stop him but he could do what he wanted But he was doing it like he was fasting over the seventh day. He was fasting all the 40-something days every year. Every year, this man did a 40-something day black fast, just water. That's all. And the other monks asked the abbot, like, did you, is he so strong? Is he so big? Like, did you tell him to fast? And the abbot said, no, I didn't. He didn't ask for permission. So everybody went to him and said, George, are you crazy? Are you walking on the path of the devil? You know, it's like, why are you fasting when you didn't get a blessing for it? You didn't get a recommendation for it. You didn't get permission. And yet here you are, proud like the devil, fasting just because you want to show how much spiritual muscle you have and how devoted you are. And everybody threw tomatoes and potatoes at him like the poor guy was the shame of the monastery every year he fasted 40 something days and every day people all the other monks in the monastery they shook their head and they said george does it again poor bastard the devil has got him and so on one day he passed away when he passed away then the abbot told them this guy had my permission in secret but we both decided that we should pretend he didn't have my permission so that all the rest of you should treat him like shit and humiliate him so that he will not brag and boast. That's what humility is about. If you understand this one, then you understand what humility is about. Then you understand the path of the heart. Like you can be the strongest spiritual practitioner and yet have an amazing humility when it comes from the heart, I've known people in these environments who are trying to hide as much as possible. Only their guru knew who they really were. The abbot knew that this guy was the real thing, but that was the only person who needed to know. Everybody else thought George was lost, a lost sheep. And he couldn't care less that everybody else thought bad about him because he knew he was doing the right thing and he was cultivating his humbleness he was preserving his modesty others and others have like i read in the fathers of the desert stories about monks the fathers of the desert was beyond reproach when it comes to tapas because first of all they couldn't do any extravagant thing in the desert they didn't have food they didn't have women they didn't have they were like really really poor and modest and so on and one of these People, one of these elders, he was fasting like every Friday or every Wednesday. He had some days of fasting, of black fasting, where he was not eating. You know? And then somebody, vid- he is with his apprentice. And then somebody comes on Friday, a visitor. A visitor would pop in probably two times per year for a person like this. Some pilgrim going through the desert finds the hut of this old man and comes and visits him. And the old man takes out the food and serves him. And this guy says, don't you eat with me? And he says, yes, sure. And he eats. And then his disciple, after the visitor goes, he says, what did you do? Did you break your fast? Did you break your tapas? Like, I know you're fasting on Friday. And now this guy is coming for six hours and he's an outsider. And you just ate lunch with him. Of course, it was a pathetic lunch. It was like, three grains of wheat or whatever. You know, it was like something really ascetic. But still, you know. And the old man told him, I did not want to offend him. He came to me with love. He gave me his love. And if I wouldn't have eaten with him, I would have been more arrogant and proud about my tapas than about having agape with him, than sharing love with him. This man expected from me Company blessing he wanted me to be on the same page with him he didn't want to come to a man who was lost in austerities and so on he wanted communion you know? and it was more important he said in this way I humbled myself I became humble like look how stupid I am a visitor is coming and I can't even respect my fast I broke my fast like a weakling like a wuss I broke my fast let everybody say that I am a loser spiritually can't even do a fast no but for him it was more important to be humble than to do that humility was having prevalence and I could continue with so many examples an example another example were people from this environment who chose not to pass judgment I remember another story the fathers of the desert inspired me at some point with their stories at some point in my life where one of these people was a lazy practitioner everybody knew that he didn't practice much and he was about to die the signs of death had appeared and then he was happy and the other monk said how come you're not worried because you are going to die and we all know that your spiritual practice is shit you know like you didn't do much hours of prayer and something and you're about to die and maybe you'll go to hell or something you know Like, maybe you will not reach salvation when your judgment day is coming. So, it's like, why are you so happy? Are you a bit stupid or what? And then he told them his story of his life. Then he told them the secret which he had with humbleness kept for his life. He said, it's true. I did not do your kind of spiritual practice. But he said, my practice consisted in observing one word of Jesus that Jesus says. If you don't want to be judged, you shall not judge anybody. And he said, for the last 40 years, I didn't judge anybody. So he said, I'm quite confident that the Lord will not judge me because I have not judged anybody. And the others were amazed, you know. It's like, look what a spiritual practice and how discreet, you know. Not a boasting person and so on. His spiritual practice was that Jesus said, By the measure by which you measure, with the same measure God will measure to you. Judge, and you will be judged. Condemn, and you will be condemned. Don't judge and forgive, and you will not be judged, and you will be forgiven. Even if you are not a great practitioner. That's not that matters. What matters is that to stay 40 years and not to judge anybody, you have to be in Anahata Chakra. One of these fathers of the desert, just to end with this story, one day, there's a story, that he was a great, people thought he was a saint. And one day he visits another monk, they meet, and the other monk says, did you hear about this brother, Oscar, or whatever that brother was? You know, did you hear that? And, and the story was that that brother was really bad. He was fornicating. He was, he was breaking the rules. He was obviously on the road to perdition, at which this old monk was told about it, He just made like this. And then he suddenly felt that all the spiritual grace, spiritual people can feel the grace. I'm talking now to you and I can feel the grace because it flows through me. I can feel it very clearly. This old monk, suddenly the grace disappeared just like this, instantaneously. Just because with his word, very obliquely, very uh, discreetly, he condemned implicitly one of his brothers who was obviously a sinner but he shouldn't have done it so this guy wanted a bit of gossip and he said did you hear about brother Oscar what he's doing and this old man go like you know like what a failure that guy is what a terrible case and because he did this he felt the grace cut off and the story said it took him about five years he ran in the desert alone old again And he did incredible austerities and practice until he felt that grace coming back. He lost the grace just because in his heart and with loud voice, he condemned somebody. You know, it was not his problem to condemn that person. This condemnation showed that he had fallen from Anahata. He was not in Anahata when that guy talked to him. He was in Manipura. He was in Svadhisthanas. Probably in Manipura, no? And so on and now he was playing smart like do you did you hear about what Oscar did (laughs) yeah terrible you know like who are you to say this God is the judge if you want to stay in Anahata don't pay don't pass any judgment it doesn't mean that for Anahata people everything goes but at the same time this means passing no judgment no there are other stories where you can see there Manipura very clearly that they are not without a spine so I could talk and talk and talk, but the whole point of it is this. There is a danger in modern spirituality that you tend to do spirituality without too much anahata. Even in a yoga school that exists because you have, you need Manipura, you need sublimation, you need this, you need that. And being in Thailand and being in a yoga school and Indian yoga having lost a lot of anahata, like there are very few yogis in modern yoga who are like Ramakrishna or who are like Chaitanya or like Abhinava Gupta or very few. And because of this, generally, Anahata is getting lost. If we would be a Christian monastery and I would give you teachings about humility and humbleness, I would say, okay, this thing is up front and you take it or you leave it, you know, but at least it's there. Being in a yoga school... I'm teaching you Udhyana Bandhas and headstands and everything, and I'm sometimes feeling that this part of the story is not said clearly enough. Spirituality is not only about Udhyana Bandhas and headstands. Remember Mahatma Gandhi. Humility is the solid foundation of all other virtues. If there is no humility, you risk enormous things. Our people who didn't go through this, they got humility, like Morihei Ueshiba. He was a great manipuristic Aikido master who reached spirituality, but funnily enough, he somehow had hit bullseye with... he was humble. He, some people provoked him he, because they said, are you that good as they say? And because it's Aikido, we can measure it. You know, in yoga, maybe not, but with Aikido we can. So they wanted to fight with him. They challenged him, which was traditional in Japan. And he had to play accordingly. And one day he was challenged by an officer in the Imperial Army. And this guy came really hard on him. And the old man had to avoid a bit harder. And he threw this man into a pole. And he broke his shoulder. That guy. And since that day, Morihei Ueshiba never answered a challenge. He broke the Japanese standards. He said, if anybody wants to see if I am a great martial artist, i will decline let everybody think i am a hoax let everybody think i'm fake let i be humiliated which for a japanese mentality is unacceptable he had found even in his manipura lineage he had found the same modesty humility he was humble although he was a great master and this goes there are other examples in the manipura environment where people although not very much on anahata they had discovered it I want to advise you I did this satsang and periodically I'll remind this I every couple of years I want to speak about this because generations of generations of people sometimes they forget how important anahata chakra is in your spirituality anahata chakra is the seat of jivatman the the Indian yogi say imagine that you have a fire pit here and your soul is burning in the love of god and therefore it's from here that your ishvara pranidana it's from here that your aspiration is longing up when your soul is crying for god that's when you are motivated to change your life to change your diet to do spiritual practice to really come out of your inertia and your comfort zone and do spirituality that's why Anahata chakra, really, in yogic spirituality, is very important. And when we look at the history of yoga, we see that all the great yogis were very humble and very loving. They were Christ-like, as as Yogananda says. Yogananda says, my guru was Christ-like. Babaji, the guru of the guru, of my guru, he is a Christ-like yogi. Because he said, I recognize the same heart the same Anahata in these people. That's why I want to emphasize on this, you are all in a place of spiritual practice, don't forget the heart, cultivate the heart, remember the values of the heart which I read here, that the love is patient, that the love is not self-seeking, that love is forgiving and it's forgetting old trespasses and love, does not boast and read it again put it on your wall and read it every day and see how can you do how how much do you need to work on anahata how much love should you feel to be able to go in that place then your evolution is blessed indeed then you have the signs of evolution and if any one of you will get hypnotic powers or clairvoyance or something They will not fall on a bad soil. They will not fall on the soil of an arrogant person, of a proud person who will misuse those things and just use them to boast their ego. It is as Eckhart Tolle said it in one of his video seminars, where he said, um, now we finish this workshop. He, He did a weekend workshop, and he said, we finish this workshop And people in the alternative magazines say that it is self-improvement or self-development or self-help. But actually, he said, all this weekend, I just tried to do self-destruction. Like, we are not here to tickle the self. He meant the ego. That people always think that they want to come to yoga and they want to do things just as a tampering of their own ego. People want just to feel better. But this feeling better is not the authentic thing sometimes when somebody humiliates you somebody sometimes when you have to cultivate this and you have to let somebody lose so that win so that you can lose it doesn't feel comfortable to your ego and you go home gnashing your teeth and having resentment and saying, oh, I did it, but I almost didn't do it, but I wish I didn't do it. But, you know, like it's difficult to to defeat yourself. It's difficult to rise your level of consciousness to the heart. So the path of spirituality is out of your comfort zone. It's not a pampering of the ego. I remember I read 20 years ago, some people who defected from the transcendental meditation of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, And their complaint was that they went into some boot camps with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And some of them started having a lot of purification. Like some of them had physical phenomena, some of them emotional phenomena. And this guy was such a narrow-minded imbecile, the guy who wrote this, that he said, how can you go to a great guru and do something like yoga and so on and feel bad? Like the gurus and yoga is not a feel-good thing. That's egoistic yoga, where you just go there because you want to pamper your ego. But the real meaning of spirituality is that sometimes you have to transcend your ego. You have to trample over your ego. And the ego doesn't like it. When you go in Anahata, you surpass your Manipura. And your Manipura is not going to like it. That there are some things which are beyond your self-interest. Because Manipura... One generally wants to serve just your self-interest, but there are higher things. Anahata gives us this selflessness, this abnegation of the soul. That's why, remember, cultivate Anahata Chakra, even if it's not always comfortable. It's sometimes very difficult to forgive. It's sometimes very difficult to be detached. It's very difficult sometimes not to be angry. Not to be jealous, not to be this, not to be that, like all the things which Paul says there and so many others, but it's worth it. It's worth every bit of it, trying and trying again and again, because without Anahata, I can tell you this as a person who has been involved in spirituality for many years, and If, at least in this lifetime, you can verify me that I was involved for many years in spirituality. And this conclusion I know for sure. If you practice a spirituality without anahata, you will succeed spiritually. But this joy, this myrrh of the heart will not be there. And the life will be a life of discipline, a life of seriousness, a life of effort. But precisely this, this giggling of the heart, this tremor of the heart, this divine enthusiasm will not be there. So if you really want a life with joy, remember also as you get older, your energy is decreasing. In the, when you are young, it's easy to be like an enthusiastic puppy and to wag your tail everywhere. And all the puppies seem to be very happy, don't they? But when the dogs get older, they are not so happy. There are many of them tired and flat and heavy. It's the same with a human being. If there is no heart, this joy is not there. And without this joy, then the only resort is to just go into some discipline, self-control. No, like you have to go into this manipura. Your line of defense is your manipura instead of the heart. That's why meditate and understand that here in Agama, we are aware of these things. We look into it and we are advising you to inquire. It's good for you for one week to ask yourselves what could I do to have more love? What could I do to have more heart? What could I do to open my heart chakra? Am I having enough humbleness? When I check myself with a rep, with a sort of a reference like this then do i pass the test do i have at least 30 percent love in me this is a very important element in spirituality and therefore please do not forget it we are not doing things here like in uh, some orthodox monastery or something where we give you you know i'm not humiliating people on purpose and so on for their spiritual benefit or so on not because it wouldn't work but because we are in the 21st century international community in Thailand Kali Yuga modern times there is absolutely no need for me to humiliate any one of you but my personal advice is you do it you don't need me to humiliate you all the teachers. You cultivate humility out of your own sweet will because it's going to serve you very well in the long run spiritually. It's very, very important. With this, we have finished for tonight. Thank you for joining this satsang. I'm going to continue with other elements of great interest in the spiritual life in the following satsangs. Thank you for tonight. We'll continue other times. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com downloads.